Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. Okay, stack waddy game, and I'm going first. The Vertigo label. You know, we were talking about recently landfill indie. You know, know, indie wasn't the only genre that had a kind of landfill period to it, you know. And I also think that the... That the so the, you know, the the essential home of landfill prog music was the Vertigo label. Okay. Oh right, good. In the early seventies, that fabulous label that you used to study, you used to stare at as it went round. And obviously, the Vertigo <laughs> label had a number of successful groups, Black Sabbath and so forth. But it had loads of groups that you may not have heard about ever again. Okay. So five names because I always do five good that's good six I do five yeah okay five names who were on the vertigo label in the early 70s one of them is made up here we go freedom frumpy (laughs) gravy train love muscle (laughs) and and war horse there you go freedom (laughs) Frumpy, Gravy fantastic. Love Muscle and Warhorse. I think, well, Gravy Train and Warhorse, I've got a feeling, I've got a vague feeling I've actually heard of. Frumpy is brilliant. Frumpy was a was a was a, a word of the time. Freedom was a thing, very much a thing of the time. I'm going for, because I think it's a contemporary expression, actually. I'm going for love muscle because I think well, that's a, I think that's a la- I think it's a later expression. It's I'm probably a, wrong. It's not a later expression, but you are right in thinking it's the one that it's the one I put in. That's there. really good because actually, Alice Cooper had an album quite early on called Muscle of Love in the seventies. Oh right, okay. So very good as he would. Yeah, but anyway, freedom, that's very freedom. good. Landfill <laughs> prog. Okay, look, mine is unbelievably niche. Actually, I have to say it's very, very, very niche. It's a bit of an experiment. 
it, it involves Graham Fellows. Do you remember Graham Fellows, the comedian Graham, who invented Chilton John? Chilton John, yeah, yeah. He also invented a character called John Shuttleworth, which I'm pretty sure yeah. you're, you're, you're familiar with. He was a failed yeah, yeah. kind of cabaret yeah. singer from no, Yorkshire. very good. In a car coat with a kind of you know, <laughs> Bon Tempe keyboard. And he, he, his songs are very kind of, um, very cream cracker. They're very 60s, 60s uh, Alan Bennett. All you right. know, and I think you know some of them. Okay, six of his song titles, which are all really... He's good. always blending six with you. All right, we see, well, I, could, I could easily cut one out. <laughs> no, Six no, no. song titles. Six song titles, okay. And, uh, oh, and I've got these, to work out which one of these is. Yeah, made one of these is made up by me, all right? Okay, here's the first. Up and down, like a bride's nighty. Right? The second <laughs> is two cherry bees in a Ford Cortina. Yeah. The third one is, one cup of tea is never enough, but two is one too many. Uh, third is, I can't go back to savoury now. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> then there's one foot in the gravy. And, and there smells like white spirit. So... <laughs> Out of those, can you, okay. That's the tricky one. Out of those, can you pick the ringer? The first one is the ringer. Oh no! Up and down like Bryce Knight. Oh really? No, that oh. was that was his big calling card. Yeah, which is very that's the first like, time I heard that expression because it's a very seventies expression. Isn't it? No, well, it was uh, we. You and I used to work with an ad manager, Rod Sop. He used yeah. to use that expression all the time. It was up and down like a Bryce Knight. Like a Bryce Knight. <laughs> so he was the one who had millions of expressions for raw steak. Didn't he? You go to a restaurant. And say, can I have a raw steak, please? And then when it arrived, you go, do I hear lowing? <laughs> a good vet could have that back on his feet in 10 minutes. Yeah. Rod, where well, used to say, you know, how you feeling, Rod? He says, never entirely without pain. That's right. These are all jokes come for the early 80s. We still remember these. Uh, anyway, so I got that wrong. Okay. So Fred, we... I'm sorry you did, but there we are. Which is the one you made it's up? A lot of... The one I made up was two cherry bees in a Ford Cortina. Uh, and the rest right. are real. And what, it smells like white spirit was actually quite a big deal, actually. And quite... one for the gravy, too, it became quite well known. That's very what good. What a great man. That's very good. Very good. So you, you win this week. Um, I have correspondence. I sound like Cyril Fletcher in That's Life, you know. Do you remember that? I do. Sit on a button back chair and go, I'm grateful to Mrs. Snodgrass from, you know, Market Raisin for drawing my attention to the following. To this funny-shaped potato. That's right. Didn't he wear a a bow tie? I think he did. Yeah, yeah, he certainly did. Uh, Kevin Walsh has been in touch. and I I just thought I was rather taken by this because he's he's a great fan of... uh, of the series of Word in Your Attic um, videos that we've been doing. He's got a very got a very organised approach to viewing them. There's a particular time of day in the evening, I think between before dinner or whatever, he gets them up on the telly. And him and, yeah. his, him and the GLW, the good lady wife, um, sit down and, uh, and watch them. And... Uh, he finds them engrossing. She finds them. She finds the kind of level of obsession kind of vaguely hilarious. You know, I'm sure it is. Yeah. It's very enough. Ter- and, and uh, very familiar. Attention but, to detail. But, but she had an idea <coughs> as a as a consequence of looking at at, at these videos, and um, and she actually came to him. She'd found an article about the best shelving for LP records. Because he's got his LPs in the house, in boxes. They've been in boxes for years and years, and they never got them out. So she was the moving force behind making sure that they got some proper shelves. And, uh, and so they, they've done that, they've constructed them, and he's got all his records out, and he's put them all, all on the shelves. And he says, uh, 
Last night at dinner, my wife and admitted that your word in your attic videos inspired her to research the shelving and to want to put the records out. She specifically pointed to you, that's me, as the inspiration for the shelves. She thinks the look of the attic where you film those videos looks cool. So, as it does, I'm, I'm just thrilled. That's fantastic. First time in my life that I've been, you know, uh, I've had influence over home decor, you know. Completely. Yeah, yeah. So I think you should extend this, Dave. I think you, I think you could get a, a, a brand of wallpaper done. Do I think it'd be fantastic? Oh, so you get wallpaper a... and you do it in such a high definition photograph that you can read the sleeves, you can read the spines of the sleeves, oh, and see God what all the records God, are. Can you imagine idea. how <clears throat> you say if this was somebody's record, like yours, somebody's record, you could actually see a real record collection. You could go down and study every single record. Wouldn't that be thrilling? Wouldn't it look great? And everybody's a, got some little den that's somewhere That's a bloody that brilliant idea, that is. Do you remember, you're not old enough, uh, the, the Dobells, the old jazz and blues record shop on Charing Cross Road? I never went to it. I never did. Okay, yeah. I went a few times. And, um, and they used to have a very distinctive uh, plastic carrier bag. If you bought a record from Dobells, which generally are kind of... B.B. King live at the Regal or yeah. Jane Van Ronk or, you know, some Louis Armstrong record or whatever. They would, they would put it in a, in a bag, which is black and white, but really nice bag. And that was a, a load of spines of records. And you sit on, on the tube going home and you just pour over those. You pour, because just think the amount of, of entertainment and information oh. per square foot... It contained in looking at your records, you know, it is absolutely riveting, don't you think? Yeah, well, as a, also, yeah, they've, got that, they've got that warm quality to them, they've got those little yeah. idiosyncrasies. It's I great. don't think you'd, you wouldn't feel so warm if you could see closer up, I think. But anyway, you know, I think your idea of, uh, of, of uh, LP wallpaper is a really good idea for dens, for, for kind of you know, for man caves, especially for dens. That's for a good dens. selling line, especially yeah. for dens. It Excellent. works, it works. The Word Podcast, walking the digital dog since 2007. And now back to the subject that simply won't die. We raised last week the subject of do bands play their, particularly their big hits, too fast on stage? And we got lots of feedback. Most of it uninformed, but we got some feedback from the odd person who really knew what they were talking about. And here I'm talking about Owen Park, a friend of the pod and professional musician. Now, Owen, you were able to do a bit of a do a bit of laboratory work here, weren't you, to see if, if this is a fallacy or a fact? Well, I just thought if I could get a test tube and a Bunsen burner, I'd like to hear the live version at the original uh, speed when they recorded it. So we're talking think, about the Rolling Stones here. Yes, the Rolling Stones, Brown Sugar. Brown you, sugar. Said, you said, oh, it was actually satisfaction. You said they'd never played it that well again after, the, uh, after they'd recorded it. And I think with Brown Sugar as well. So I basically looked at what the tempos are. You just press a button on the computer. And uh, it was about 10 beats per minute more for live. So that's really Faster. quite a lot. Faster. So... I yes, faster. So I then put in the live version, slowed it down to the original, and it just, for me, it just worked a lot more. It had a swagger. The original, if you want the numbers, uh, starts at 124 BPM, but the the, the live, live version, the live starts at 136. So yeah, it's more, incredible. it's more than 10 beats per minute. Faster. So this was something when we raised this last week. This was something you, as an experienced musician, 
you recognised this, didn't yes. you? That bands yeah. do this. You didn't have any difficulty in, in recognising that. No, Why do they do it in your experience? Why do bands play things faster on stage? Well, what I found funny with this was that it actually went faster for the sax solo, but it slows down on the studio version for the sax solo. I don't know if there's a roar from the crowd or Mick does a bum wiggle or something and everyone goes, hey, we'll go faster, <laughs> whatever it is. I don't know, but it's... um. I mean, Keith starts it. Who knows what uh, what fun stuff he's on uh, to but make him play fast? If you play faster, does it give it a, a a sense of urgency? Is that the reason that they do it? Does it is it somehow I make it seem more exciting just to, to, to have it faster? Yeah, there's always been an unwritten sort of rule which I don't really agree with because I think you lose all the the heart and soul and the swagger of a song absolutely. and it's harder to dance to if you you can kind of mm, so yeah. dun, 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 and i i don't know or i mean i put something up on facebook an hour ago in preparation for this and basically say can i have some examples and loads of fellow musicians have come in someone's actually said honky tonk woman Honky Tonk Woman, it's hilarious. And my friend Alex replied, it's like Charlie's left the oven on. It's <laughs> because <laughs> it does, it just races, it races and races. That's the, that's the recorded version. But this is clearly that they're not using a, a click track, basically. But a lot of live bands now will use a click track. I actually know of one, I won't name the artist. He was so fond of, um, uh, sort of jazz woodbines that he would berate the drummer afterwards and say you were speeding up you were speeding up until the drummer got a metronome they don't, they weren't running any track out front of the pa it was just literally so the drummer had donk 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 and after the first gig he did the whole gig on metronome where he was matching the speeds for the recorded versions the singer still went you were speeding up he said i can't have sped up at all all night because right. i have been you know straight jacketed by this thing and it was just in the singer's head so do up. most groups use a click track? I'm playing in big venues. Do they use a click track to, to time themselves yes. on each I mean, I, I, um, really I play live with Robbie Williams uh, covering for Guy Chambers, so I'm his dep. And because those gigs are so huge, the production managers kind of insist on it for the multimedia and the pyrotechnics and the yes. dance routines yeah. and the show that it is. So it's kind of terrifying because you are... About to go, I did a gig at a stadium in Romania and I hadn't done a stadium gig before. It was my first and only one. It was last summer. And we start with Let Me Entertain You, which is a deceptively tricky piano part. Um, and you're there with your ears and you get one, two, one, two, three, four. Dunk, 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 dunk. And you have to play correctly, well, with, with feeling, without the wheels falling off in front of all those people and try and not basically lose your mind with ding, dong, dong. It was Steve Albini, the producer who hates click track. He said, playing with click track is like driving with the police in your rear view mirror. Because right. it is this- Incredible, mm, so distracting. Mm, mm, mm. And, but- but Presumably it makes it gigs. impossible to be, to be spontaneous. You, I mean, you, it, it can a big gig like that. Can somebody on the spur of the moment decide to put a different song I into the set list? There are it songs- It must be really hard with all there the are songs. There are songs we do which are off, which are more kind of Vegas. Yeah, I did a, a, a run in Vegas with Robbie last summer as well. And there were quite a few there where you would do the kind of Vegas um, Elvis. 
type thing where you can, you know, and then you'd come in and you speed up and you slow down. But the big hits, I mean, especially if, uh, you know, I mean, there was the story, the song he does, She's the One, which is a Carl Wallinger world party song. I hadn't run this with them ever. And then suddenly he's out on the vanity ramp, Robbie, and he said, right, we're going to do She's the One, hit it. And I got, and I thought, am I in after three? I am in after three because I have no notes either. And he went, one, two, three, ba da da. And I'm looking over at the bass player going, have I, is this right? <laughs> and then you wait and you wait until R comes in with these backing vocals, which are on track or some synth part or something. And you go, oh, I was right. But it's terrifying. Absolutely so it's terrifying. incredible. It's like you're trying to keep up with the record, effectively. Obviously, not all of it, but, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I heard a horrible story about a guy who was playing with Bonnie Tyler in, at the height of her fame when, uh, 83, 84, when the, the big songs were number one around the world. And he was filming. They had a cruise at Hammersmith Odeon. And uh, he was stopped from going on. She did a song just with her pianist. And then he, the big song, uh, Total Eclipse, and they were using Click Track then, and he couldn't, some security guard stopped him from getting on stage. And he goes, I need to be there, because if I miss beat one, the whole thing's screwed. And he got there and he saw this thing flashing. He put his headphones on, he didn't know where one, two, three, or four correlated, and went one, two, three, four, turn around. And it was only the bit where the backing vocals come in, turn around, blah, and it was out of sync. So she went, turn around, turn around, turn around, and the whole thing just went, oh, which wasn't God. his fault. No, I'm it, sure. Things will no, go no. wrong when, because it, it's, it's not flexible. That train is off and, uh, God, and that's going. complicated. But you see Bruce and the E Street Band, they'll be live. Um, and they play Born to Run pretty well, right? They don't. It's not. Well, we decided. We talked about this last week, and we decided that Springsteen doesn't speed up. No. In my in my experience, he's very faithful to the um, to the sound of the record. Yeah. The record. Yeah. And I think he's very respectful of that, and that's one of the things that interests me. That uh, I often think that the audience, when you go back to the Rolling Stones and Satisfaction or Honky Tonk Women or whatever. Mm. This sounds ridiculous to say, but they sort of don't know those records as well as we do. No. Because no, we've no. listened to them millions of times. And we only we, know one version of it, really. We got which is the one on the record. Well, they've I got a million versions of those. I, I, I did read, one of you may have written the article when talking about the, the new McCartney band, new, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, like, they, taught, they taught McCartney the, the songs. I'm they, sure they did. They, they, and they'd say, it doesn't actually go like that. And we'd, mm, all right. <laughs> well, that's fair enough, because he they would have played it, and he probably, in some cases, would never would. Anything after 1966, he wouldn't have played it live anyway. No, I did, a, know, li- I did, some of them. I did a little bit of tempo mapping on Ringo, because he gets a lot of... He gets a lot of flat Ringo, and Charlie gets the... Oh, Charlie's a jazz drummer, so he's, yeah. you know... They, it was almost, like, more revered than Ringo, and Ringo's pretty steady. It doesn't... But that's... You know, I didn't want to hold your hand and ticket to ride and stuff. And they speed up for the B section, and then they come back down. But I heard some, what were some people saying here? Uh, Street Life by the Crusaders is unrecognisable by the end, the album version, from how it starts. Um, Harvest for the World, the Isley Brothers, ramps up 20 BPM in the first eight bars. <laughs> wow. 
and it just got motors. You think of the Isley brothers as being the masters of it. If anybody was in control of it, you would have thought they would be. Absolutely. And superstition, which is. Oh, yes. Which is an interesting one. Because he's playing everything. Yes. So it's not people in a room vibing. It's just he probably laid down the. I don't know, maybe a clav part, and then he... No, it would have been drums. He probably put the drums down and then followed his drums. I, d- uh, I don't know. Oh, but there's about ten clav parts on that song. It's really That's the weird. recorded version you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, That's yeah. astonishing, That's, isn't it? That speeds yeah. up. Goodbye to Love, Carpenters, speeds yeah. up. Message in a bottle. Oh, uh, yeah, message in a bottle, I'm not surprised yeah. at all. Yeah. Um, Even I someone that. said Magical Mystery Tour, and I know Alex said on the last podcast, but I think that is... Um, I think that's a, more of a kind of vision sort of thing because it's go, getting on the bus and the magic and it slows. I think it's in sections. Yeah, where it yeah. wants to do. Well, that. it's the refrain. The refrain comes back faster. That's that's what it is. After the, the after the trippy yeah. kind of bridge middle eight. Yeah. I just think it's yeah. Come on, come, let's come back and let's let's yeah let's get. So, going. Ge- so generally speaking, though, that presumably if, if if a good example, Britney Spears. If you go and see Britney Spears. You're going to get Baby One More Time played pretty much faithfully as it was on the record, aren't you? You'll have, you'll, you'll have backing vocals of her age 15, 16, and Max Martin coming through the PA, basically. I've been to see Pet Shop Boys play, and I'm playing synths because I made an album with them, and they just right. keep the things that you, uh, you, you use. I hear... I so hear you're my sitting backing in the, vocals. You're and, sitting in the audience, you hear yourself live. Uh, and yeah, you go, I'm sort of playing the O2, but I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Owen, Owen, that's fantastic. That's really, uh, that's really useful. Also, you've introduced me to a new phrase, another new phrase I didn't know, apart from tempo map, which was vanity ramp. Because Roy Williams was they... out on the vanity ramp. I that's never know what So that's called. when you go out to the crowd. Oh, is that what you call it? <laughs> Yes. Is that the official name for it? It's yeah, it's, it's uh, yeah. I don't know where I first heard that. So you go out and showboat on that kind yeah, of little yeah, that's avenue. It, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's I love fantastic. the idea of the artist being in a different postal code from the musical. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> so far away. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Owen, thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. We should be back with you. you in due course, no doubt, for more uh, more Erudition. light thrown on dark areas. Cheers. Thank you. All the best. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye. The Word Podcast, one of the few things you really need in life. So I went into town this week, Mark. That's very exciting going That's exciting in itself. I find everything just really stimulating. You know, I sit opposite people on the bus and I think, I could write a story about you, you know. Just on the basis of two minutes, I, uh, because because you're yeah, so starved of seeing other people. Absolutely, and that's true. It's true. It's just that kind of thing. Anyway, I um I was in I was in uh, actually I went to Fop. I got these. I, I bought some CDs. I bought two CDs when promising myself I was going to buy for ages. I bought Miles Davis, Porky and Bess. Um, Miles Davis, Miles Ahead, and. Uh, can't go wrong with those. And then I went. I went to the uh, Rough Trade East, and because I, I was signing some books for their mail order operation, and I was talking to somebody in there. I said, uh, "You know, how much of your trade do you think is CD, and how much record?" She's, and she said, "Well, I think it's mainly record now. You know, probably you know tilting more and more towards records." And uh, and we were discussing about would CD survive? You know, would it still go? Well, on? no. We were talking to our, our producer, Magic Alex, about this. Who's got a huge CD collection and no CD player? 
And I think you tweeted something about it. I you? tweeted. I did it. We've got a whole it. room of CDs behind just behind me. That whole room of CDs. We've got one slightly ropey old CD player in the kitchen, and we, if we listen to them at all, we listen to them in the car. You know, you get to the point where you listen to things on Spotify or, or they're ripped or whatever, but you never actually play them. And it's clearly the case. So I, I did. I did this survey, and clearly it is the case. You know, hundreds of people got back saying, "Yep, got loads of CDs." You got some people saying, "Yes, I still buy them." And I then rip them to my, you know, computer, which is increasingly a difficult thing to do because very often, yeah, if you buy a Mac, it won't have a disk drive anymore, you know. So that's uh, right. Harder and harder all the time. And so some people are just buying CDs and then just putting them away in a shelf and uh, not actually playing them at all. And uh, and I just, I, 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 I often think about this, you know, because I know there's no romance to the CD at all. I know it's the it's the the music carrier that nobody loves you know it's impossible you can't fall in love with it it's just it's the way you can't and it does nobody ever talks about my copy of a cd no absolutely (coughs) because there's nothing that makes it any different there's no cigarette burn or but on the other hand i don't think it can disappear because i think it then leads you down a very dark place as far as you know, music and the reproduction of music and the things that we all respond to about music, you know, that um, you end up being, you know, what? Do you, here's my question to you, Mark Kellen. The music buying experience, is it closest to the book buying experience or to the movie going experience? Which of the two does it have most in common with? Over to you, Park. That's true. The movie movie buying experience. Yeah, well, it's not, so not, not, not movie buying, movie watching. M- movie watching. Because movie watching is a social activity. I'm going to cut through here. I movie watching a, is a, a social activity. You go, generally yeah, yeah, speaking. It's a book buying yeah, thing. It's totally book, book buying. It's because book buying, buying you, can't, you don't share with anybody else. No, you go a, back and it's a, a personal, personal reacquaintance with that thing. So, yeah. li- listen, I mean, you know, I publish books and, uh, and you know, books that you know, lots of people read on Kindles or uh, audio books or whatever, and that's absolutely fine, you know. But the majority of people still buy, you know, a, a hardback or a paperback book. That's what they, they kind of relate to. And if I woke up one morning, the publisher said, well, all right, they, they, the market for physical product here has disappeared. And so your book's just going to be sent down the line as a load of noughts and ones, and it'll either reproduce itself as sound in people's ears or as something they read on a, on a Kindle or a, an, or, a, or a tablet or whatever. I'd feel really bad about that. Absolutely right. You know, because you think, well, what have I done? You know, what I mean? it's it's like you're taking once you once you make it available purely online, you're not you're not making a thing. You're providing a service. Completely, there's and no object. There's no object that there's you, no object. There. There's that fondness of picking up books that you've read before. You get them out of the shelf, and there they are. And there's what you wrote in them in 1976. You know, the curled up edges of the paper, the coffee stains, those things, I don't know why. There's just, they, they connect with you. So, you know, these records, uh, you know, I could, I, I could listen to these on Spotify or, you know, Amazon Music or God knows what. It's perfectly freely available. But, you know, I love these records and I didn't own them. And, and I wanted to go and own them. I wanted to have them, you know. And, uh, 
and uh, and uh, since I got them, you know, I played them a few times at home, you know, and I, I may not, I may not continue to play them, but I'd feel lost if I didn't have them. But because surely I, a lot of people, no, I totally agree with you, but it must be a lot of people who don't feel the same way because they've got a room full of CDs, it's taking up space. And is there going to be a massive tonnage of, of CDs out on the second-hand market? Well, I think or there, is all, there going to be... I think there a, already a, is, isn't there? Or is there going to be a, a, a kind of revival, like, like vinyl, which I think is very unlikely. I, I don't think, will there be a CD revival? Hardly. Well... Because it's hard to be fond of them. It's hard to be fond of them, I agree, but that doesn't have to be the only reason why people might decide that they want them. You know, that if everything just disappears into, if everything just goes into the one big tap and you just, you just turn it on and you take the direction that you want, yeah. it changes the nature of, uh, of the creation of music, I think. You know, because for, you know, for 50, 60 years, that's been what it's been. You know, it's been, I make a single or I make an LP or whatever. And then the LP was supplanted by the cassette, first of all, and then the CD. And, and you know, now it's disappeared to um, into a tap, you know, and it has the, approximately the same emotional engagement as the tap. In your Completely. in your kitchen, because you know, which no is you miss if it wasn't there. Yeah. You don't come over with a whoopee. You must play with a tap. But there's <laughs> no sense that you own it, so you don't feel you feel very detached from it, do you? Just, yeah, just, just a piece so, of entertainment uh, you can turn on and turn off. So I, I not yours. You know, all I will say is that loads of people really happily got rid of their LPs and thought, Phew, "Thank God I got rid of those. I've got the CDs instead." And I think most of them, well, I don't know about most of them. We'll regret that. Which is the other way around. Already regret yeah, saying I should have kept the vinyl and got rid yeah, of the CDs. Yeah, Absolutely. So, I so you. Um, you know, I just it just made me think all this response to, to my tweet. You know, the people have thousands of CDs. And you mentioned you got one in your car. Yeah. Well, may I say that's probably because you've only you've got a vintage car. You've got quite an old car, I know. <laughs> well, so if you we get... We you got, got the new, new Dylan one. CD not very long ago because we we pretty much had to go to a for a drive just to be able to listen to it. Yes, <laughs> because the one of the CD player in the kitchen is pretty ropey, you know. Extraordinary. So, so if you look at you know the average suburban street like you and I live in, you know, if you look down the street, you think to yourself, down the street, down the street, what are ten thousand CDs? CDs. Yeah. More than ten thousand, and just think how much money was invested. They may they may be virtually worthless now, but you know, in not, let's not forget, in nineteen eighty five, a CD was sixteen quid. And yeah. sixteen quid is the equivalent of forty five pounds. Today. Okay, here's my confident prediction: the sixteen pound CD will be back. Oh right. Well, because companies will need incentivizing to make them, because the market's not going to be that huge. And so if you want, you know, I, I bought this for whatever it was, seven quid. Frankly, it's 15 quid's worth, really, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and if they charged me 15 quid, I would have got it as well. Um, so, you know, CDs went at first were, were rare and valuable, weren't they? When you got your first CD, you didn't care how much you paid for it because it was an exciting new experience over an LP. Do you remember it? when CDs arrived, people just say, what's your favourite CD? Yes, they did. Because there were so few of them. You we know. Do, well, we did, that little, <laughs> we did that little booklet with the first issue of Q. Yeah, we did. That's the right. The best CDs. Best CDs available. Of, and there were only about 100. That's right. Well, Most of those were like last There weren't right. an awful lot more. No, it's true. So, you know, I think 
in order to keep these things produced, I think that's, that price will go up. That's what I think. So, you know, you can, uh, you can laugh at me in due course if I'm wrong. But brace yourself. $16.99 will return. The Word Podcast. Fix yourself a drink and it's like being in the pub. You're either watching or listening to The Word Podcast, one of our many fine services, alongside our Word in Your Attic and our regular Crowdcast interviews with authors of newly published books and also our regular weekly Can You Tell Who It Is Yet quiz. There's only one way to make sure that you can take part in all of these things, that you get them first, uh, and that's to sign up to be a Patreon. And so Mark will tell us who's joined us this last week. Yeah, that quiz, by the way, is on Friday nights at six o'clock. It's absolutely excellent. New patrons, um, can we please welcome aboard? And we're thrilled to have them with us. Uh, Actually, three annual patrons first, which is John Pickles, Dickie Dangerous Chateau, (laughs) uh, (laughs) and Gareth Jones, and also uh, Adam Keane, Ian McKenzie, Gary Steagles, and Tom Teodzuk. So thanks very much for signing up. and We appreciate it. Absolutely. And anybody who wants to know more about it, just go to patreon.com slash word in your ear. We'll see you next week. See you then. This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.